So we just learned about the passing of actor Richard Hurd, who portrayed Admiral Paris on Star Trek Voyager. Um, our condolences and our thoughts go out to his family. And we would just like to take this time to um, commemorate him. Yeah, I, I, I want to say it was a real honor to, to work with Richard Hurd. And uh, I, I was very proud that, uh, that he got to play my father. He was always a lovely man at conventions. I saw him for years after we made the show around the world at conventions. And he was always so positive and gracious and kind. And uh, I just really appreciated that he was the man that played my father on the show. So we'd love to just take a moment of silence in honor of Richard Hurd. <laughs> Thank you. Hey guys, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, AKA Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you're interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. Hello, Robbie. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Is your driveway all done? Is there, everything's all fixed with your driveway? Got my driveway done. I was working today. Let's see what house projects I was doing. I was uh, going along the fence line with my wheelbarrow and pulling off the, uh, the ivy that tends to grow along my fence, and I can't stand it. It looks so junky. So I'm, I was going around the perimeter of the backyard, pulling ivy and weeds, and uh, yeah, it was, it was yard day. So you're not trimming the ivy, you're pulling the ivy. Well, because on the there's a I live in Georgia and there's a lot of ivy down here. Like for some reason everybody loves ivy. So there the neighbors have ivy growing in their trees and all over the place, but it comes through the fence like between the you know, the pieces, the boards, it'll start growing through and um so I go around and I pull it out and I rip it and it feels good. So. This sounds like the prequel to like a Judge Judy episode where you're going to sue your neighbor for the ivy coming through. For the through. ivy coming through, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so this week's episode is The Cloud. Yes, The Cloud. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So um, for those of you uh, who are with us on Patreon, we are about to play a little game of what... Do we remember? Yes. And as for everybody else, we'll be right back with our recap of the cloud after this break. Okay, guys, we are back from watching the episode, The Cloud. <laughs> this is a fun one. Wow. <laughs> I don't think it was exactly what I thought. I mean, a little bit like that. My vague memory of the cloud affecting the whole ship, but a couple things I didn't remember. I didn't remember Sandrine's was in this episode. 
although we talked about it, you mentioned that before. Yeah. But I really, I didn't remember what Sandrine's was about. So that whole thing was <laughs> uh, amazing <laughs> to watch. And then uh, I didn't remember all the stuff with the, the um, spirit guide, the animal guide, all that stuff that Janeway did. Yeah. I mean, once it started playing, I was like, oh my God, I do remember this story. This, so we'll get it. We'll talk about that as we go yeah, through it. But uh, yeah. So, so at the very beginning, I find it interesting because they talk about, it's the captain's log and she talks about um, the journey home has already been several weeks long now. Mm -hmm. so even though this is technically what the fifth or sixth episode, fifth or sixth episode of Voyager, we're already several weeks into this journey. Yep. Um, also, this episode was written by Brandon Braga, directed by David Livingston. So this is no. The story was by Brandon Braga. The script was Michael Pillar, and I forget the other writer. I don't have it in front of me. So the oh, okay. the script was written by Michael Pillar and another writer. Gotcha. Brandon had the story, which I found interesting in a place I'll tell you about later. David Livingston is the director, and I think this is the first time David directed one of our episodes. Yes. Um, David Livingston was, I guess he was the supervising producer on TNG before. Um, yeah, I he, think so. He, yeah. And it's interesting because there was always this fight between, or tension between David Livingston and the crew, specifically Marvin Rush, the director of photography, because David literally would take multiple takes to get something uh, done, David, right? I mean, David was a perfectionist and yeah. he was very particular. And David would, David had our longest days and we had some long days, but David Livingston was consistently the longest yeah. um, director. This was his first episode. Um, yeah, there's a couple things and I'll bring it up as we go through. I remember specifically thinking, oh, David's doing some different things than other directors had done. And we'd, we'd only been doing it a few episodes, but I noticed immediately when we were filming that he was very particular about some lenses. He was using different lenses and very aware of these kind of close wide angle lenses. He used a split diopter lens, which now I know what that is, but that's the first time I ever heard of that. A split right. diopter is where you keep one, one part of the frame in focus and then the other part that's way back here also in focus. So it allows you to have this kind of unnatural um, image. And I'd never seen that before. David Livingston does that in this episode. He used that that lens uh, in Sandrine's a couple of times, and I can talk about that when we get there. But uh, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could say that he was a bit of an auteur when he was directing, and that he did pay extreme attention to the type of lenses he used. Whether it was he loved that fisheye lens, <laughs> which I yeah. hate. I hate the fisheye lens, and he would always try to do a close up on me using a fisheye lens. And I and I and it just makes you. It just makes you look like you're in an episode of the Twilight Zone. And I yeah. and I would say to him, I go, David, can you please just use a regular lens on me? But off the off the bat in in the engineering uh, set, you see that just the camera angle that he takes. He's looking, he's always looking at Bolana from, everything's looking above because he's showcasing that second floor of engineering with all yeah. the plexiglass um, walkways yeah. there, which I totally forgot about that it was plexiglass. I thought it was, it was like a great, you know, graded sort of metal type of, you know, industrial flooring up there, but no, it was totally clear, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, which may have, you know, who knows, maybe people were watching this and then that, that became the impetus behind. Now you can go to the Grand Canyon and there's that clear walkway that walks all the way out there. Uh, a lot of different, you know, uh, architecture. Yeah, it's, much, it's much more common now. I think yes. when we built that set, having glass floors was not something you saw often. So, not yeah. Yeah, and you definitely noticed it. You could tell that David was looking for new angles and trying to be different on this episode visually. So it definitely yeah. felt felt a little different there was also a section sorry that um that jane Wace is still in her little you know uh captain's log she says maybe more than ever now they need me to be larger than life i only wish i felt larger than life and then she says computer delete that last sentence so yeah. you see a little bit of, of comedy yeah some comedy and hesitation also in her and unsureness of of what to do because you know we were literally this is we're lost we're so yeah. far away from home this is it's it's scary yeah yeah, I, I made a note of that same line, but I took it as a as kind of the comedy, uh, you know, you know. I wish I was larger than life. Wait a minute, never mind. Delete that. It was kind of you know. Was, I took it as the comedy version of that line. Uh, yeah. I thought she was very funny. She had some funny moments. Uh, uh, she, she did. Uh, the doctor uh, had some funny moments in this episode. Yeah, uh, there, was, uh, there was a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I had that same note. I also, when she first came in, you and I were sitting there in the mess hall. Yes. And uh, she's trying to be chummy chummy with the crew. And uh, we don't know that. Um, so so she comes over for a little small talk. Mm -hmm. I love how you had the, uh, immediately you came out with the, uh, you know, they have an old Chinese saying, <laughs> an old Chinese curse or something. I was like, oh my God, really? Are you going to? But this, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear what Are, you're taking well, my, my take is like, I forget that this show is 25 years ago, and there's a lot of things in here I found, I'll be honest, offensive in this episode. Okay, okay. Um, I thought that was, I, I, I found that the way it, there was no subtlety or nuance to the way it was scripted. Yeah. You know, you immediately yeah. came out with, well, there's an old Chinese saying. It felt right. like so stereotypical that, oh, the, the Chinese guy's going to have a saying on the tip of his tongue. He's going to, he's going to, yeah, give us a little Chinese wisdom, just like the the Indian guy. He's gonna have some wisdom too, and right. it just it felt. I, I here's what I think. I'll be honest. This is global about this whole episode. It yes. felt like a bunch of middle aged white guys trying to write lines for the Asian guy, the Native American guy, the Sandrine's bar. I thought Tom Paris came out like came off like the biggest misogynist pig I've ever seen in my life. I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, uh, even Kess and Neelix, their little sexy time moment. I don't know. It just felt like a bunch of middle-aged white guys. And I love Michael Piller and Brandon, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it was a different time. Yeah. And I, I, that very first line when you said, well, there's an old Chinese saying or. Yeah. Can I just repeat what it was? It's a, I yeah. said, there's an ancient Chinese curse, Captain. Yeah. May you live in interesting times. Mealtime is always interesting now that Neelix is in the kitchen. Yeah. Now, what struck me about this is it's very clear that Ensign Harry Kim, the last name Kim, everybody knows that this is a Korean last Korean name. name. Yes. It's not Chinese, okay? So now let us just... Talk about this. I my character mentions there's an ancient Chinese curse. Now later on, uh, probably throughout the seven years, five or six more times, I will say there's an old Chinese saying. 
Paris and I will say something to you. And this really blows my mind because at the end of Voyager, the final season, they had already written the pilot episode for Enterprise, what was going to follow after we were done. And at that time, a U.S. spy plane had crash landed in China and the Chinese were holding on to it. The U.S. government then said, hi, China, can we have our plane back? And China said, what plane? Because they were stalling because they were tearing everything apart on that spy plane. They wanted to reverse engineer every piece of technology there. Um, The talk was this could cause an international incident between China and the U.S. Um, The U.S. could go to war with China over this. And so I marched myself into the executive producer's office and I said, why don't you make what the character of Hoshi Sato in Enterprise a Chinese character so that this could be goodwill towards b- between US and China, right? US-China relations. And Brannon said to me, he says, what? Uh, why would we need to do that? We already have a Chinese character in Star Trek. I said, well, who? And he goes, you, Kim's Chinese. <laughs> and this oh, is season no. seven. Robbie, I almost... My jaw hit the floor. I was so shocked. I was. That's like, what I'm. That's what I'm. I'm huh? saying it's. It's a different time, and it doesn't excuse it. I'm not making excuses. Right. And right. and all of us were there. So like, yes. you know, you were there. You said the line. You could have. We all could have. Yeah. Done things differently. So all of our all of our barometers were a little differently calibrated. Let's let's right. say that. Right. Robert Beltran could have certainly had had an opinion about. Chicote and all of this freaking stereotypical bullshit Native American stuff mm-hmm. that they threw into this episode. Yeah. Um, I'll just say I'm working on a show right now called Resident Alien, and we have a Native uh, Native character. Yeah, Native American in this in the story, but we're shooting in Canada. First Nations is the words they use up there, right. but we have worked so hard to make our our native culture authentic. We actually rewrote an entire storyline when we found out an actress we thought was actually native was could not prove her native heritage. So we were like, we're not gonna put people on here who we do not know are real native actors. We're not gonna, we're not gonna have a, a, a Mexican guy imitating a Native American. It's mm-hmm. insulting. We're not yeah. gonna tell stories that are not authentically vetted by real research and and by tribal consultants who tell us that that's okay that was so i know that that was not done on star trek i know that they did not i let me put it this way i don't know it looking at the way that i watched this episode and how it was done i don't i don't believe that they really vetted the native american culture in this episode very thoroughly it feels it and they certainly didn't vet the fact that harry kim yeah is not Chinese. So, and they didn't, you know, and then the misogynist part of, of Tom Paris, I found offensive. So, um, and I participated in that. So all of our barometers were kind of off and I, I can only recognize it now and say, wow, it, that call it what it is. I'm my barometer. I, I don't think it was off. I actually justified that Kim, while he was at Starfleet Academy took 
a lot of Chinese studies courses, you know, that he was a, he was a, a, a China file, like into everything China. So that's how yeah. I justified it. I didn't sit there and go, Hey guys, uh, you know, he's Korean, right? I, I, it totally just, but did they, but let me ask you this. Did they ever, um, articulate, did they have lines that refer to his uh, Korean heritage? Did they ever talk about Korean food or Korean no. culture? That's what I'm saying. The implication you could have you could have done your own mental gymnastics, but the implication was Harry Kim was Chinese, and he's not. That, that is not a Chinese name. Put it that way. Correct. Um, Correct. Maybe in the future, some of these borders and boundaries won't be the same, but still, culturally, the name Kim is a Korean name. Anyway, and if they had known, you know, if if I had known that they had thought this was like, if the breakdown said. Uh, this character, Ensign Harry Kim, is a young Chinese Starfleet Chinese Starfleet officer. I would have immediately said, "Hey guys, Kim is not Chinese." The, the translation of Kim into the Chinese name is C H I N, so Chin. So it should have been Ensign Harry Chin, is what it should have been. Wow. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Probably should have. Yeah, and in, and just so that we can bring up bring this up now, when you when you spoke about Tom Paris as misogynistic, the only thing that that came off as really offensive to me is. When later towards the end, we're in Sandrine's, Sandrine's bar with all the rest of the crew members and you turn to the Ricky character and you tell, tell her that um, I'm trying to set the Indian up. Like just the way you oh. called him the Indian. I was like, I agree. Said, what? I, I, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Like I, I, I did not recall that. And when I saw it, I literally, I literally wrote. Yeah, what did you write? I want to know. I wrote, I wrote Indian in all caps. I wrote Indian. I said Indian. Oh my God. Uh, it's, I, I am, I'm sorry. I, I don't know yeah. what else to say. I'm, I'm sorry. And it's, and it's funny because this show, you know, was trying to be such a forward thinking modern, um, you know, female. Diverse, diverse cast. Diverse cast yes. and female empowerment and very modern in so many ways. And yeah. yet it felt just buried in very old stereotypes, this whole episode. So yeah. I, we got we to gotta get through yeah. it. We've, let's, we're let's we've been talking for yeah. 15 yeah. minutes and we haven't even gotten into the episode, but. Um, okay. So basically yes. we come across this nebula, right? Uh, uh, Janeway is... Uh, before that, Janeway's asking for coffee from Neelix, and Neelix pours this what looks like chocolate pudding into this cup, yeah. right? This or, thick pudding. Or poop. <laughs> Your poop. Chocolate, chocolate pudding or poop. <laughs> right. And then uh, he drank it, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> I, th I thought, by the way, Johnny Phillips, Ethan Phillips, was amazing in this episode as Neelix. I just find him hilarious and funny, and um, I thought he was great. Well, you know, I didn't remember him being so... Um, ornery because he was he was really just you know he, he said th th these guys are all idiots he calls basically Janeway an idiot and I know don't, I don't I remember love, that so. I love that though I wish that there they had kept more of that I think because yeah. he, because Ethan is such a sweet human being they started writing Ethan as a soft sweet lovable guy and that right. was not as interesting I think they should have kept him ornery anyway yeah, yeah. Um, yes uh, the all the coffee stuff you know um I thought uh, that that starts becoming her signature. You know, this episode begins that whole coffee thing. Yeah. Um, and I've done that impersonation of her voice, that line, there's coffee in that nebula. I've done that yeah. 
dozens of times at conventions. Yeah. And uh, so we're looking for more energy and we come across this nebula that seems to have some type of energy stores in it. Yeah. Um, oh, I like the interaction between uh, Tuvok and, and Kim on the bridge when he's, he's, he's messaging me, telling me that he, he was- I, I, I didn't remember that, that you, that, that you guys had had this sort of private conversation right. from across the bridge. Yeah. And I thought, why didn't we do that more often? Like yeah. that could have been a fun, I, we could have done that every single episode. You know, I could have said something to you like, oh my God, Harry, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever. We could have yeah. had real fun. Oh that yeah. Would have, that would have been a great thing to keep going. And I wish we had. And Robbie, that to me started kind of going into the territory of Orville. Like that's, that's something Orville yeah. would completely do. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Yeah. And for him to have this private conversation with me after I say, I've never seen anything like it. And then, then he's like, and so Jim, the junior officers will be worried if you use this type of term. And then yeah. I call him out on exactly, basically doing the same thing again yeah. uh, later, right? And you're right, never again. I mean, can you even recall another time that any person on the ship has a private conversation with another person on their on their comm badge? I don't think so. I think that that was probably it. They never really explored that. No, You're right. No. We really, really, really could have used that to um, to enhance yeah. the show more. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, and then now you come, uh, you show up. Uh, oh, Kess and Neelix kissing for the first time. Is that Kess right? Kess and we... Neelix getting hot and heavy. Yeah. yeah. I I literally when we got to that point, I thought, oh. Is this the nebula that makes everybody feel sexy? Like I, <laughs> I, I literally thought, wow, it's they're getting so hot and bothered that maybe the nebula is doing it. It seems so out of character. Um, is this the rave nebula? What are we doing yeah, in here? Exactly. <laughs> no, totally. Um, and I love, ben yeah, in that same scene when he calls us idiots, I loved that. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I, I've got to say the the nebula outside when it looked like it was hitting the windshields and stuff, it didn't look like, it was not our best visual effect. It no, looked, it just looked, a little looked like jello. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a jello-y kind of effect. And I thought, oh, they could have improved on that for sure. Yeah. Um, this is also the episode uh, where you break into my quarters, which was so spooky. And your line is hilarious. It's just when you say to me, uh, you say to me that that what was the the comment that you said? Something like I said the that, things uh, you'd the be things surprised you, the things you learn in prison. I wrote this in down. Prison. I literally, <laughs> when I heard myself say that, I was like, "Ew, ew, what are we saying?" Because then you know where where did your mind go when you when you heard that line? Because you you literally you'd be surprised the things you learn in prison. It was sort of like well, after uh, break after breaking into another dude's room. Yes. And then I say, oh, yeah, you'd be surprised at the things you learn. Did I break into other prisoners' rooms and rape them or something? Like, see, I don't know. I mean, the only thing worse is if you surprised me in, like, the sonic showers and you came in behind me like, Harry, your soap. <laughs> yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, yeah. This was not my favorite Tom Paris episode. This no. Was not. Yeah. And, and of course, the well, I, I'm, I'm going to – as we do these discussions of these episodes, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna pull out the weirdest lines that Harry ever had, and one of them would have to be after you wake me up. I walk out explaining why I wear the mask is because my roommate is Starfleet Academy. Womb. Yes. You're I like, remember. no, I really, I remember my mother's womb, and I was I like, being in my mm. mother's room, which is like crazy and kooky and bizarre, and who yeah. writes that stuff? So yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we enter the holodeck program. You show me your little holodeck program, Paris 3, uh, yes. Sandrine's Bar. It's, it's, a, it's a bar in Marseille, France, and how much you love uh, French 
uh, people and French things. We see uh, Ricky, and this is interesting. You say, and this is Ricky. I include her in all my holo programs. But yet later in Captain Proton, she is not the woman that's screaming in there. That's no. somebody else. That's a different actress. Okay. We have a blonde actress in that one. And what's hilarious is Angela Dorman, who plays Ricky in this episode. Um, I, in my conversations with her off camera, she told me that uh, that she's a natural blonde. So she would have been perfect for Captain Proton screaming later. Uh, that's funny. That that whole program yeah how was that yeah. working with her i i don't remember angela so well i remember uh judy geeson actually okay. i remember judy because judy had been married to a man i know chris tabori christopher tabori and oh. chris chris had directed me in a production of romeo and juliet and he's a wonderful director and a great actor chris tabori and and so i i talked to judy geeson a lot about chris and about the theater and and just all that. So I spent, I think for that off camera time, I spent most of my time talking to Judy, but um, I have to say, I hated it. I, I thought it was creepy. And that line when he says, I put her in all my holo programs. I mean, holodeck programs, let's all be honest. There's a lot of <laughs> pornography that gets created in holodeck programs because that's where you work out your por porno habits, right? Or your whatever. Yeah. Um, that's, that's certainly, I know fans have talked about that a lot, like, oh, yeah. what happens on your private holodeck programs? So to even say that, like, oh yeah, she's in all my holodeck, and then she's all over me, and like I had yeah. to program her that way. It yeah. just, that whole thing speaks so poorly of who Tom is. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, we, just like we have to say the lines as scripted, we have to play the scenes as scripted, and. I look at the, that scene and I'm like, well, I guess I, you know, I trusted the writers. I trusted the, the, the producers that they were making a story about Tom Paris that they believed in. But as I look at that episode, I'm like, that dug me into a hole as a character. I feel okay. that, that was very deep. I, I, okay. I, it was very unattractive. It was creepy. Yeah. It was gross. I didn't yeah. like it. All anyway. Right. The captain's ready room, um, Chakotay comes in holding the medicine bundle, which honestly, it looked like a guinea pig that he was holding yeah. <laughs> at first. Um, and he takes Janeway through. I'll say another thing just to yeah. compare to my current show, Resident Alien, that I'm doing with our yeah. our, our Native American uh, consultants. We we had to create, uh, um, you know, medicine bundles and things like that. We had to create a... Um, um, a haircutting ceremony for when someone dies, you you cut your hair. We had to put this all together. And we actually took photographs and sent it to the consultant and made sure that every piece that we were using was exactly authentic. I felt the same way about that, those props. Like, mm. oh my God, it looks like a guinea pig. It does not look, it's just so cliche and over yeah. the top and, yeah. and, and it looks fake. Yeah. And so, yeah, I found that offensive too. It, it, yeah. uh, it definitely is, it, it looks fake, but I, I will say as offensive as it comes off, it is, it's, it's still the attempt by the middle-aged white guys to show some culture, some native culture, at least what their idea of native culture is. Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can, Okay. at the time, I think they were, that, that was the intention. I don't think there were bad intentions. Right, they weren't but bad look, intentions. Looking at it 25 years later, yeah. we, could, we can do much better now 
than they, than we did then. And I certainly know I can. So. And in reality, Robbie, since this is an early episode, this was actually filmed 26 years ago. It was filmed in, two, in 1994. We yeah. premiered in 95, but this is a 1994 filmed episode. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time that uh, we see Janeway's spirit animal is a lizard slash salamander, which is, is this which foreshadowing is to foresh- threshold? Yeah. Yes, it is. I think it, well, the story was Brandon Braga's story, right? This was Brandon's. Okay. Yeah. And Brandon, Brandon wrote Threshold later on. There so you go. maybe he tied in the spirit animal and all that. Yeah. Maybe that's Brandon Braga's spirit animal. Maybe that's I think why it is. keeps coming back in over and over again. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we learned that word Akuchimoya, which I used to joke with, with Robert Beltran on the set all the time. I would literally. Akuchimoya, he said. And I, he said something else he said, earlier. He said Nuanka and Pakita. Yeah, and, Pakita. Uh, Pokemon, yes, yeah, yes. Pokemon, and um, before before the Akuchimoya, let's just go back. The first yeah. time, the first time we hear Zimmerman's name mentioned, oh yes, yes, is is yes. in Sick Bay. I yes. found it really. It, it was a very small detail, but when Balana comes in with the doctor, they're so combative with each other. And Definitely. then later on, it was nice to see the doctor sort of set Balana up to be the hero when he's like, oh you know what to do, right, Balana? And she sort of comes up with a solution. So that was a nice, I, I liked I liked that, because at first I thought, why are they so combative? But yeah. later on, later on, it paid off. Right. Um, yeah, he mentions Zimmerman. I also yeah. saw, I saw Bob Picardo stroking, stroking the, uh, the computer graph, like a computer might stroke another computer. I thought that was very sensual. <laughs> I did not pick that up. Um, it was very <laughs> subtle, but he was like, oh, yes, I see in here. And it was very, there was a lot of sexuality and sensuality. Uh, in the, the, yes, yes. Wasn't Most it? Most definitely. Uh, I, I agree episode. with you. Yes. But the whole name Zimmerman, now we know the programmer's name is Zimmerman. Because everyone always says, the doctor doesn't have, doesn't have a name. Well, it's in, in, in essence, it is Zimmerman. Um, yeah. And here's a little, little side piece of trivia. That is Jerry Ryan's uh, maiden name. Is, is it really? Yeah, because she comes from um, uh, both mother and father are 100% German. If you went into uh, Jerry Ryan's parents' house, which um, uh, she will tell you, on the walls, there are pictures of relatives from World War II that are wearing U.S. military uh, garb and also relatives that served in the German army wearing German military garb. So they're, they're 100% German and Zimmerman is her maiden name, which is hilarious because it's also the doctor's name and how yeah. the universe just kind of like, you know, yep. these things like that. It's crazy. Well, all uh, right, moving on. Moving on, moving on. Oh, Akuchimoya, I would joke with him. I would say, Akuchimoya, we are far from the sacred places of our grandfathers. We are far from the bones of our people. We are far from our lunch break. Like I would always like come up with like things to <laughs> yes. use Akuchimoya with. The Akuchimoya. I did, I did think that there was a lot of sexual energy in this whole episode from everybody. Yeah. I thought Kate Mulgrew's interest in finding her animal guide was slightly, it was, it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> she was like so wanting to find her animal guide because right. it almost felt, you know, and she was flirting with Chakotay and yeah. uh, over it. I found, I found that really interesting. Yeah. I also later on when Neelix says, I don't want to go back in that place. Oh, let me and Cass stay on my ship and we'll yeah. wait for you. I was like, wait a minute, what? We've got his ship on board? Why didn't that ever come up again? Yeah, like, we never see we never see a ship again, really. No. Right? 
No. I mean, where would we store it? It's a very small ship. It's not like the Enterprise D. I mean, we have yeah. a small ship. Where is this damn ship? We just uh, sort of forgot that we were, yeah. I, I don't think there was ever another mention, but it was interesting to know yeah. that we still had a ship on board. Loose um, end number loose end number one, right? Yeah. So we have that I, one. I thought I thought when we did go back into the the nebula, mm. our shake our shakes were finally on point. I feel <laughs> like we we finally had found our shaking uh, technique, and that was really good. I didn't think when the ship was diving like, like down like that. Yeah, I didn't think that that was a good a great effect either. It looked a little. Eh, it was okay. You know, I just realized our podcast listeners are not going to understand when you go. Yeah, it's like using it's, your it's hand, kind of <laughs> like diving down. It's kind of a weird yeah. angle. It just didn't look. It didn't look it, dynamic. It wasn't the, the greatest. You know, Robbie, how I make fun of your yes, ma'am, all the time. Yeah. Well, you did a very, you did a very dejected yes, ma'am, in this episode because we talk about Janeway says, "Well, let's hope it has a slow digestive process." Because we're going back in the nebula, and you go, "Yes, ma'am." Like you were like really kind of bummed out. Like we're we're in the belly of the whale. Yes, ma'am. It wasn't yeah. as, as yeah. invigorated as normal. There's a lot of ways to do a yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, a, that's a it's an infinitely expressive uh, phrase. I and agree. I, and I feel like in seven years, I expressed every version of yes, ma'am, that you, you had, could possibly. You had numerous yes. versions of yes, ma'am. And talking about the physicalness of this show, the sexiness, the sexiness of the show. Did you notice Janeway keeps her hand on your her, your shoulder towards the end of that uh, episode? Yeah, like, I did. I did the entire that. time. And I'm yeah. wondering, again, is this a choice because the original plan was for Paris and Janeway to be a couple. I mean, was I don't this think so. I think by now they were already interested in Chicote and the captain. That okay. was that was the place they were going to go. Okay. Um, I, I liked Neelix coming out with snacks on the bridge. I wish he did that more often. Okay, tell me why you like it. Just because I, I, it was. Just because we're we're shooting a long day. It'd be nice to have snacks. <laughs> okay, because. You know, in the in the I don't, I'd have to say throughout the run of Voyager, whenever I go to conventions, there's a lot of people who, who throw shade at Neelix. You know, that say, yeah. that, "Oh God, I just I hate that character." And and I'm wondering, uh, was that scene part of the beginning of the dislike of the Neelix character? It's sort well, of I like, think, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that on a Starfleet bridge. You're bringing yeah. in snacks like this no, is not children playtime. I, I like the snacks just because I thought it was charming and cute. But you're right. I think that. The, the initial concept of that character when he was so ornery and, and he was in that junk ship and he had the cool coat, like yeah. that would have been a much, he turned so quickly into this, like the goofy chef's hat and serving people. And yeah. I think when he was ornery, he was much more interesting. So, and, and, you know, calling himself the morale officer, like he should have called himself the, the Delta Quadrant police and I'm not letting you do this. Like it would have been more interesting to see because uh, he's a charming human being. Ethan Phillips is yeah. one of the nicest people in the world. So even if he had played him tough and ornery, it would have been fun and funny. It would have been more interesting. Well, Robbie, I have uh, this is my revelation. I just realized this now. I like because he is a bit ornery in this episode, and we, he in, in like you said in that coat when we first see him. I feel like the writers sort of abandoned that once Picardo took the orneriness 
into his uh, um, yeah maybe his decision of how to play the doctor and they were like oh well if we have one guy with this character being kind of snappy back at people we might as well not make yeah. Neelix that edgy guy so I think we can blame this on Bob Picardo and we'll talk to him <laughs> about this <laughs> he took everything on the bridge on the set by and the way, he by the way Neelix. speaking of Bob Picardo the so the doctor shows up and he says um, uh, I've been listening to your plan or your lack of plan or at some point he just pops up and he yeah. he knows he knows what everyone has been talking about yeah. and i was like wait a minute that's creepy too like yeah so the doctor all seven years was able to just listen in to everybody's room because he's part of the computer like <laughs> That just seems wrong. So. so he's he's big brother, basically. But before he said that, he did say, one of you forgot to turn off my program. So he brought that up. But you're right. Okay. Like Later on, he, he's never really turned off later, right? No, he's no. Always on. Can, uh, so he listened to everything that Bellana and I did in our quarters? Yes. Yes, ma'am. He did. Um, yes. Janeway's a pool shark. We didn't know that. At no, the very did, end. Not, did not oh, know that. Crap. Also, uh, Harry Harry says he's going to ask Chakotay about animal guides. Harry said that. Did you ever ask Chakotay about your animal guide? I never asked. I don't think I, he did. I'm, I'm sure they would have written it in as a panda because it was a Chinese animal. You yes, know, in the forests of China. So, um. <laughs> I have I have two last comments. One yes. is uh, when Balana says. Uh, so you program this, Tom? And I said, yeah. And, and you program the, the pool shark? I say, yes. Balana says, well, he's a pig. And so are you. I was like, yes, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I am a pig. He's a pig. This whole story is, is a pig. Yes. Uh, the, the, all of it. So that, yes, thumbs up to Balana for calling it what it was. And uh, Sandrine was going to teach you some things. Did she teach you? anything Harry <laughs> she didn't teach me anything I like when you first introduced me to her and she she offers her hand for me to kiss it and yeah. I shake it right I, I shook her hand and that was a choice that I made as an actor I said I'm gonna be so awkward and just shake this lady's hand instead of kissing it um, and then uh, yeah right before the pig comment gaunt Gary says to Bellana is like his approach to women is treat a lady like a tramp and a tramp like a lady never fails and I thought wow yet another horrible oh. line like, <laughs> but thank yeah. God they mentioned that you're the pig and the, that you program yes. so yes. that was sort of the justification and validation at the end okay so I think right. we, I think we've covered that episode not my favorite episode I no. will say no, not my no. not my favorite episode. What do you think was the underlying meaning or the underlying message from this episode, The Cloud? I, I think the um, to me, I thought it was interesting that Janeway was willing to risk so much for the mistake that she had made. And I think that's a theme that she plays out a lot. Like if she feels responsible for for a wrong in some way. She's going to make it right. Even if it means risking the entire ship and everyone's life, she's going to try to make it right. Um, it's, and it's very heroic. It's very noble. I, I think in a, in, a, in a way, that's the theme to me is like a, a theme of personal responsibility on some level of like, if, we, if, we, if I do something that's a mistake or that hurts someone else, I'm going to fix it. I'm responsible to fix it. Okay. Um, and in reference to fixing the nebula-like yeah. being, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go even further. I'm going to. I I think it it has to do with grief 
because um, Chakotay talks about where the crew is sort of in a grieving session, basically the grief of knowing that we are so far away from home and that, that we may nav- never get back home. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and when you're in a period of grief, it's easy to sort of um, kind of um, shut down everything and not interact with anything around you. Mm-hmm. And this episode sort of teaches that, yeah, okay, something bad can happen in your life. You can be upset about it. You can grieve about it. But the quickest way back to normality is to sort of find other things to do, like Shea Sandrine, like, you know, whatever it may be, just go about doing something. Get active. Don't stay there and and, and be this, you know, um, curmudgeon who's tr- who's in the cave and doesn't want to to, to socialize or, or yeah or anybody you know that's interesting so, um that's kind of what i i got out of it so. yeah but i think you're definitely right that's at that point in our show there's a bit of grief and a bit of feeling lost and like how do we create what's normal right what's the, what's the new normal yeah right well great well thanks guys for uh for sticking with us to, for our recap and our conversation and again i apologize for tom paris being a a misogynist and a, and a jerk and a pig, as Bolana said. He will redeem himself. Don't give up. Keep watching the show. He'll get better. Okay, guys. Thanks so much for listening in to our review of the episode, The Cloud. Uh, next week, join us as we talk about the next episode, which is Eye of the Needle. Until then, live long and prosper. <laughs>